Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. While reflecting on the words of our gospel lesson in particular uh, today, uh, I was in Asheville uh, some weeks ago at the Biltmore. It's considered the largest home ever built, at least in the United States. It's uh, quite, quite the place to be or a place to see. Uh, but while there, seeing the treasures new and old in that place, there was one room in particular that caught my attention. It's called the Tapestry Gallery. It's the longest room uh, within that magnificent house. And within it, uh, there is a collection of tapestries uh, called the Triumph of the Seven Virtues. Uh, it depicts the seven virtues, faith, prudence, charity, chastity, temperance, fortitude, and justice. Um, but these are tapestries that were made in the 1500s. And so they have been around for quite some time. But among those was one placed in the center called the Triumph of Faith. Uh, it is unknown who created it, who made it, uh, but within that tapestry, it lifts up faith as the chief of the virtues. And among those virtues in particular, uh, there is a quote above uh, the tapestry in Latin which reads, Holy faith believes the divine word and worships God through every dutiful practice. Uh, part of the, the joy and the treasure of the triumph of the seven virtues is how it depicts the word of God through images, through metaphors, through, through visual notions of oxes and children and babies and angels and ox. But at the time, there was, this was language that could be translated, language that could be understood, language that you could see the image even if you were unable to read and be able to tell the story of faith to be able to understand the ways that God works in the world. Uh, but at the left corner, there was an angel that depicted the Saint, uh, Saint Matthew, uh, the, the one of whom we are reading today. Uh, and so it was that Matthew figure that triggered in me uh, an ability to look at this room and to look at this building through the eyes of faith through the eyes of understanding or interpreting our scripture lesson today um, in a way that I might not have done before. And this week is the week that we finish our series on the parables, uh, reflecting on what the parables mean back then, but also what they mean for us today. The paintings and the tapestries within the Biltmore residence are kind of like the parables that we read today. They use images and visual imagery of pearls and treasures and animals and the like that sometimes seem foreign to us, sometimes may seem old to us. But amid it, we hear about the surprising ways that God was at work in the world and how God is at work in our world and our lives today. The parables require an act of translation, taking where Jesus takes something of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, how God works, and translates it into ways that we can understand. Coming ashore and catching fish, finding a treasure in a field and giving away all that you have to have it. These are not necessarily how the world will be in the kingdom of heaven as we will see it, but it translates 
the treasures of God into ways that we can understand in the here and now. And so beyond just the act of translation for the hearer requires an act of interpretation, the ability to sit still and to try to read beyond the surface level, to see what God is saying to us today, not just what had happened, but what God is doing in our midst. The grace is that God is giving us his word, but the humility is that it requires holy listening that it doesn't always make sense on a first read or a first listen or a first interpretation because the disciples were seeing the parable of parables in their midst, the word that became flesh and dwelt among them. They did not always understand what was going on. More often than not, they were the dunces of the story. But looking back with the gift of the spirit of love, the spirit of discernment, the spirit of God, they began to understand what God was doing within the world. But as he, Jesus was telling the parables in our lesson today, he put before them a parable, saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed some time ago, that God can take something small and make it into something big. But in our gospel lesson today, we find how God can take something big, like the possessions of this wealthy person who owned all that he did, and sell it for a pearl or for a treasure that was hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, it says, is like a treasure hidden in the field, which someone found and hid, then in his joy goes and sell all that he has and buys the field. Sometimes we think that the kingdom of heaven is small and it grows within our lives, but sometimes the kingdom of heaven is seeing all that we have and realizing that it doesn't matter as much as the mustard seed of faith within our heart, that we could lose it all, but if we have God, we have what matters most. But after these parables and parables and parables, Jesus turns to the disciples and said, have you understood all this? And while our gospel lesson says yes, I hear it more as yeah. <laughs> because we know that the spirit that helped them to interpret all the things that Jesus said and did, did not happen until after the death and resurrection. So they think they understand, just like we think we understand. If I ask you if you're wrong about anything, you might say yes, but if I ask you to name one thing, you couldn't do that, because if you thought you were wrong about something, you wouldn't think what you thought. That's how it works in understanding how God works in the world. If we recognize we were wrong, we would think differently. But Jesus lays these parables, these seeds of faith, these seeds of truth for the disciples to understand, but for them to also be like St. Matthew and write the Gospel of St. Matthew, or to be like Peter and be the rock upon which the church will stand. And so he says to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven like you is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And it's here in this description of the parables that he gives one final parable, helping the disciples to recognize that as we receive the word, as we are preached to the baptized, that we are to bring these treasures that we have received, the treasure of his word, the treasure of his presence, the treasure of Jesus himself to others, 
to bring the scriptures, those treasures that are old, to bear, but to bring new treasures of the way God is present in your life and in the lives of those you love around as well. There is one room in the Biltmore that is hidden away between the husband and wife who both had their separate bedrooms, even though they live together. They also, the, the building is so big that you can have like three bedrooms to each person. But in between the two is what is called the oak sitting room. I like to call it the treasure room because it's that room where uh, the uh, Vanderbilts would bring out of their treasure what is new and what is old in part for their daughter Cornelia from 1895 to 1914. And one uh, priceless treasure that they brought out were sketches from Rembrandt. And they would have like a little magnifying glass for their daughter to look and to learn. Because he brought these treasures out for his friends and family to see, because in the 1800s and 1900s, you couldn't really hop on a plane and go to Paris or Milan or Egypt and see these things. And so he brought the treasures from his journeys so that he could show the world to the people that he loved, the art and the architecture from far away. Not just old treasures, but new ones as well. At the time, he had invested and written to Monet and Renoir, who were just young little contemporaries at the time, but he saw something in them. Because he had been versed in the treasures old, he could recognize the treasures new in his midst. And so he would write to Monet and to Renoir and to uh, build up their uh, portfolio to help them develop where they were going to see the art in the now because he had seen the art back in the day. Why does this matter for him and why does this matter for us? Because if you're a musician and you only play the classics, say that you love Bon Jovi or say that you love uh, the Beatles and that's all you play, you're a cover artist. <laughs> You're not a musician, at best, or at worst, you're karaoke night. <laughs> but if you're a visual artist and you say, oh, I'm avant-garde and I don't need to know the classics, well, at best, you just make silly putty, <laughs> and at worst, you're just an average amateur if you're not grounded in the classics. They say if you are a plagiarist, you steal from one, but if you're an artist, you steal from many. And as people of faith, we are called to be artists who steal from the many traditions and backgrounds and scriptures that we have been given. That the reason we return here week after week and we hear about the treasure in the field or the priceless treasure that is Jesus is because we are learning how to take these truths from of old and to make them treasures anew to make them treasures for our own life, to make them treasures for the people around us, to remind us that if we just think of this text, of this word of God as something that had happened thousands of years ago, we make God an idea, an abstract truth. We make the gospel a doctrine, something that we believe to be true, but we do not necessarily trust within our own hearts. But we are told that the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We are told that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We are told that God is still speaking. And so we gather together, bringing these treasures from of old into our midst so that we can bring treasures anew into our lives. 
We are reminded in our epistle lesson today that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Treasures from of old remind us of how Moses, the murderer, his past could not separate him from the love of God. We are reminded that Paul, who had this thorn in his flesh that caused him pain and anxiety, is reminded that that cannot separate him from the love of God because strength is made perfect in weakness, for I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We are reminded that Peter, who was told, you will deny me three times, that his future could not separate him from the love of God, and said, feed my sheep. The treasures new is the reminder today that nothing can separate you from God's love today. We hear of these stories of old to remember that the stories today are still active, that the treasure today of Jesus in our midst is still active. I could go on and on of the ways of God back then, of the old ways that God has been faithful. And I could go on and on today with treasures of new of how God is active today in my life and yours. But know that you are his treasure possession. That as we talk about the treasures that we have in Christ, that God looks at you and says, you are my child, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And so I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us or you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for that, all I can say is, thanks be to God. Amen.